Hey everybody, welcome back to Green Milk and Lean's newest Patreon episode. I am thrilled uh, to be joined by the other half, the better half of the House of X podcast. (laughs) So mean. Mr. Dylan Carter is with me. It was a question and Regina's clearly the better half. So it was, I was trying to be polite. I mean, I was probably going to call myself the better half, but you beat me to it. So (laughs) I got to... I got to hang out with Regina on our last episode, talking all about the McCoys, and we got strangely emotional at the end, <laughs> and now I get to hang out with my buddy Dylan. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I I heard about your episode about getting emotional. Like, first of all, I was like, you did a whole episode about Beast's parents, and then she was telling me about how emotional it was and fun, and I was just like, Okay. i'm trying to focus this particular version of my show for the patreon on lesser known characters and i i really when i started this i really wanted to cover the 60s characters that basically wouldn't cover a trial on my show you know the the changeling and fred duncan and all these like old guys but it's kind of just turned into random uh uh, obscure characters from all over the x-men universe which is a blast I, uh, I've been researching all afternoon. Uh, this is a preemptive announcement. Uh, Neil Clyde and I are going to do the character Starhammer soon, who is the uh, the last of the Dabari, uh, who like attacks Jean Grey. It's he's a f- weird character that I had never thought of in like years. It's it's really fun going all over the place on this one. Yeah, when you said Starhammer, I was like, wait. Okay, I like very vaguely, vaguely, vaguely remember that. So. <laughs> He has a awesome. wild history. It's crazy. Uh, Dylan, for people who may be less familiar with you, although you have been on my show a few times and you were my first uh, online guest on my show, you and Regina, way back when I was doing stuff at the beginning, you guys came in for the uh, the epic Thor's, you know, vibrate hammer episode at the beginning of my show. Uh, tell people a little bit about yourself and, uh, and what you do. Uh, I am a giant X-Men nerd, just like Chad. But uh, I have my own show. It's called House of X Podcast with my co-host Regina or Gina, whatever you would like to call her. Uh, I have been obsessed with X-Men comics for quite some time. The X-Force comics were really my first X-Books. Like I knew the X-Men existed, but that was about it. And then I got some X-Force comics And then a few months later is like when the X-Men cartoon started. So me getting X-Force comics made me fall in love with Warpath. And it made me love these cat girls that were in (laughs) issues. And yeah, now I started a Facebook group back in 2016 and it exploded. I didn't think that that many X-Men fans would want to be in a Facebook group that I made because there was a billion other ones. And then I started being a guest host on a different podcast. And then I realized that podcasting was not easy, but it's easy and fun if you love doing it. So then I left that show and started my own. I'm working so hard on this show, and it is the most fun that I'm having in my life uh, for the last couple of years. Every time I'm having a bad day, I come in, and whenever I'm recording an episode, and I'm smiling for hours afterward. Uh, You and Regina, I know, and other people that have been involved with your show and in your past, you guys have built a pretty substantial community. I know you have a really lovely following. You're also doing some really cool stuff professionally with all of this at this point. 
Uh, Dylan, for those that don't know, is partnered to Chandler Poling, or Chandler Poling, who is uh, one of the co-hosts of the X Reads podcast. And these this little weird queer podcast community that I'm very uh, peripheral to because I live in Salt Lake City. <laughs> but uh, there's there's some really cool shit happening. Uh, tell people what we have to look forward to this fall. Yeah, I always forget about this. <laughs> it's a big I'm, deal. I'm still not I'm still not used to it, but. Uh, so this fall, September 16th and 17th, I am a founder of an experience that's happening. It's called the Uncanny Experience. It is an immersive event. So it's going to be kind of like a mini con. There's going to be aspects of it that feel like a con. But then there's other aspects that are the immersive part. You're going to be in a venue that looks like the X-Mansion. There's going to be rooms there that look like the Hellfire Club. There's going to be rooms that are look like classrooms, but are really going to be where panels are going to be held. And we are going to have some creative talent like Chris Claremont. And we are going to have the voice actor of Rogue and Wolverine from the animated series, Lenore Zan and Cal Dodd. Lenore was just on my show and she is the loveliest. She's the best. <laughs> and uh, we're going to have Larry Houston, who is the sh show kind of everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he was a director and art producer, everything for the show. And he also did uh, Pride of the X-Men, which was the precursor to the animated series. And there is going to be some more guests, but we haven't announced them yet because we got to make everybody be excited when we get closer. But there's also going to be uh, lots of well-known cosplayers. We have uh, merchandise that you can buy so you can actually like be or feel like a student at the school. There's going to be like, the different panels, like I said, are going to come off like classrooms and you might, you're going to get like a report card and on the last day you'll get a graduation slip that's going to be signed and given to you by Chris Claremont. It's so cute. I love the whole thing. Uh, my husband and I both have tickets. Mike, uh, my, my partner is not a huge X-Men guy. He's very supportive. He's very loving. He went with <laughs> me to FlameCon last year and he had a fine time. But when I told him it was in Minneapolis, that was the selling point for him. He loves Minneapolis and has a bunch of friends there. So we're going to make a week of it. And we'll be at the Uncanny Experience for a few days. And I get to meet yes. Dylan in person, finally. Yes. Yeah. Thank, you. Thank you for saying where it was located. Because I, whenever people ask me, there's always something I forget. So yes, it's in <laughs> Minneapolis. This uh, sounds a lot like uh, there, there's places that do like Harry Potter or Star Trek kind of things. This is such a cool idea and it's been waiting to happen for so long. You've got big names coming and I'm thrilled. I can't wait. I will be there to help, but I will also be there as a big fan and uh, it's going to be a really good time. So everybody get your tickets if you have not yet. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning that because that's the reason that we did it because there's so many there's like a hundred billion different Power Ranger cons and there's Doctor Who cons, there's Harry Potter cons, like you mentioned, there's Star Trek ones. There's something for like every small fandom or big fandom and like X-Men is huge. <laughs> and we were just like, why isn't there one for X-Men? And we're like, oh, because powers that be will probably sue people that do it. So how about we try and see if they sue us or make a cease and desist and I, they haven't. I've gotten accustomed to this now, but I, I I record my show in my therapy office where on my one wall, I have my like 
all of my X-Men art. And uh, my clients will come in and not notice for the first couple of weeks because they sit with their back to the wall. And there's always a moment where they're like, wait, what is this? And I'm like, oh, I have an X-Men podcast. And they're like, what? And every, like everyone's <laughs> excited about it constantly. It, it makes me smile. Like the X-Men are so huge uh, to everybody all the time. Uh, okay, let's take it back. Let's take a trip back in time uh, to little baby Dylan <laughs> picking up his first issue of, uh, you said X-Force was your very first book. Do you remember which number yes. you got first? I believe it's X-Force 24. X-Force 27 was my first book, which is really funny to me because I'm so much older than you. <laughs> <laughs> but you well, picked it up as a little baby and I picked it up as a teenager. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I picked it up because there's like a bunch of fighting on the cover and there's one big hot muscly dude right in the middle and it's warpath so mm -hmm. <laughs> little little baby dylan knew what he wanted when he was little warpath is a fantastic character later this year by the way and this is preemptive uh warpath will make his first appearance on my show when we do x-force minus one uh and uh, you're totally invited preemptively oh, but please. Not, it's not I scheduled yet so we'll get there <laughs> yes i would love to be a part of that please thank you oh yeah yeah you're you're first on the list it's a warpath of course my word uh, so, uh, there's, this is a team, uh, where Xavier's dream was being moved into some different eras. It's the early nineties. The roster has just expanded. Rob Layfeld is a huge name. Uh, he's this big poppy drawer guy with giant bodies and huge, like, belts with lots of little pockets in them and bullets and huge guns and glowing eyes and teeny tiny feet <laughs> like women with very narrow <laughs> waistlines uh he he has an iconic style that is often made fun of because he it's just so comical in some ways the giant chest and the tiny waist but it's iconic and he has said more than once x-force was uh, kind of his creative height so they had this kind of brand new talent they brought him in Fabian Nicieza ends up becoming the uh, the writer on the book and taking what was mostly kind of punchy action 90s stuff and making it more character focused and like a little bit more seamless because uh, otherwise it would just be Rob Layfeld drawing pretty pictures uh, of the X-Men and their characters from all over the place. So the New Mutants were the restored class of X-Men. They launched in the 80s. This is the graduating class of New Mutants right at the end of the series in like the last few issues before they hit number 100. They add a bunch of new characters in. Shatterstar, Warpath, who had been previously seen uh, as a member of the Hellions, uh, and uh, other characters are brought back in kind of big ways. We also meet the character Farrell, and we'll get to Farrell in just a second. Uh, Cable is also a huge name at this time. Uh, time traveling space daddy <laughs> from the future. Yes, who is uh, who's taking uh, um, Xavier's dream and expanding it to new spaces. Uh, there's an iconic moment for me. I think it's right at the end of Executioner's Song. Uh, I'd have to go look this up. Uh, Cannonball is confronting Professor X, who's like, how could you do this? And Cannonball's like, uh, he gives this analogy of like the open hand and the closed fist. Do you remember this from the books? Vaguely. And, uh, yeah, I remember the panel. 
he's like the 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 open hand can be extended as like a sign of friendship but it can also be used to slap the closed twitch can be used to punch but it can also protect and he opens his hand and there's like a little mouse inside he's like we have a different approach than you but it doesn't change the dream and Nisi is it's such a great job of uh of making this kind of paramilitary version of Xavier's uh team work uh, tell me your thoughts on X-Force in the early 90s. It's great stuff. Really, it's really good. I I am a person that in nowadays time, <clears throat> I have issues with Rob Liefeld, but I can also <laughs> appreciate talent and know like what was happening then. Like I can put myself back in a certain time and know that like, his art was pretty amazing back then. It was it was just as good as Jim Lee, but in different ways. Sure. And just a different style. And Rob, just like Nisieza, like they wrote a story for this team that needed to be different, but needed to also like at this point in time, the mutants had been pushed down so much most of the time during this time by villains of their own not really necessarily humans but like there needed to be a team that was not so nice and so x-force was a really good answer and why not have a big talent like rob liefeld making these we have to remember they're also comics too so these people can be exaggerated so warpath can look like the size of a semi-truck and cable can look like the size of a semi-truck and the girls can have waists that are as big as your fist and it's just it's still a comic so yeah. <laughs> well and the other directions they were taking it x-factor were the government sponsored mutants at this time we also had excalibur who was the x-men team overseas uh, we it was cool seeing the the dream redefined in different ways and of course we've had a lot of versions of that at this point there's even been six or seven different versions of X-Force and what that means. But this yes. was a fun time to be a reader. We're going back to, again, early 90s. It's like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like, uh, I'm thinking commercials like uh, Lunchables and Fruit by the Foot. Like, Gushers yeah. are all over the place. Like, you you open the ads and it takes me back to, like, junior high. Every time I look in these old comic books, it makes me laugh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the 90s, a lot of times people, like, they... Marvel recently did like some variant covers that were like extreme, um, which I think more so fits more of the 90s era, not the 2000s. And like X-Force was kind of a part of that. Like the X-Men themselves couldn't be like the radical, cool, extreme, like whatever. But X-Force could be. It could have the weird sh outfits, the weird shapes of people. But the X-Men, they didn't do that. So, yeah. Now, interestingly, I... in interestingly enough, Layfield doesn't stay on the book that long. He's very well associated with it, but it gets redefined by a number of artists and a number of writers over the years. Uh, but we're going to focus on this early era of the book. Uh, there's Cable and there's Strife and the Mutant Liberation Front and the, I don't know, all these, all these villains showing up. Uh, Juggernaut and Black Tom are right at the beginning. Uh, and then we get into an arc that uh, we've covered on my show a couple different times because of character trials. We have covered this Brotherhood of Evil Mutants story because we've put Toad on trial, we've put Blob on trial, and we've put Sauron on trial. And so I keep having to read this fucking Brotherhood of Evil Mutants story, and it's okay. <laughs> I remember it being really exciting when it first came out because it was this big punchy art with these characters, and Layfield especially draws Toad so creepy 
but uh, I, I'm I'm really tired of this story. <laughs> uh, all the characters have really crazy names. The the most bizarre one are not crazy names. Uh, like bizarre spellings to their names. The most bizarre being Fantasia, who certainly deserves a Patreon episode one day. Uh, so yes. it's it's a fun time. Again, I'm kind of talking about X Force thematically, but uh, any any thoughts here before we focus on our character? No, I love that Brotherhood team for this early X Force, and then I know they showed up a few times in like X Men books too. It also kind of like seems like the saddest Brotherhood team too, because it doesn't <laughs> really seem like they have like a good leader. It's just a team full of followers, and it's like. Oh, we need like some filler villains. Let's just have these people that are called the Brotherhood who don't really have like a mission. Toad Toad has like a very wandering personality. This is in his like narcissistic serial killer era. Uh, and they're not really even in many X books. They're an X Factor. They show up in Sleepwalker and Darkhawk, uh, like in a couple places, but this team is very it, it does not last very long. Pyro is part of it. Uh First, we need before we get to Thorn, uh, we have to talk about Farrell for a minute. Uh, Farrell, I think, when I was originally reading the X books as a teenager, I did not care for this character. I thought she was annoying. It's like every team has to have a Wolverine on it, and she was mm -hmm. like the Wolverine. I liked that she was different because you got Wolvesbane, who, frankly, if you see Farrell and Wolvesbane in the same panel, sometimes they look the same based on uh -huh. how the artists are doing it. Uh, but Wolfsbane's kind of like the tortured Catholic werewolf girl, where Farrell is just this savage, sarcastic, hissy cat girl with like a triangle head. Uh, <laughs> how would you describe Farrell? I think she's hilarious, by the way, now. As an adult going back and reading, I think she's so funny. Yeah, uh, she was basically just the the girl Wolverine that didn't talk that much. But if she did talk, she was you would read her as a villain more so like she was very not just being savage with her claws she was savage with her words she was never nice to anyone except for maybe shatterstar who but she everyone... called shatty buttons yes <laughs> so we, we all have to thank feral for that she's the one that gave us that nickname but like she never really seemed like she ever liked anyone on that team and but she would always be there for them. So that's something that I liked about Farrell was like, maybe she hated you, but like she'll kill someone for you if they're going to try to kill you because she kind of likes you. But she'll, she'll flirt with you to make you uncomfortable or she'll slash at you with claws or she'll like just read you for filth and be such a bitch. And like everyone hates her. And she's like, why do you fucking hate me all the time? Yeah. Uh, Connor Goldsmith pur purports on his podcast that she sounds like Cardi B, which is hilarious to me. That, that idea yeah. of her having that voice. Yeah. Uh, she, and her real name is Maria Caya Santos, uh, which we learn a little bit later on. Uh, do you have any favorite feral moments? Uh, well, anytime she flirted with Shatterstar, which was a few times. Um <laughs> Early on, like like Chad mentioned, she has a weird hair pattern that looks very triangle like Wolverine did in the 80s and 90s. Um, but occasionally, like she would just put on some workout out clothes and like then she'd be able to pull her hair back into a ponytail. And it's like, how does how does that even work with your hair? <laughs> uh, 
And then there was one point in time where she got blasted during a big fight in X-Force. So she lost all of her hair and she had like no hair. And <laughs> all I know, I can remember a scene where the X-Force team is out in the desert in Arizona and she like hunts a lizard and she like puts her finger through it. And then I think she eats it. So that that's that's one of the first things I think of when I think of Feral is her hunting this lizard and eating it. She recently got an arc drawn by uh, Philip Seavey and uh, written by Zach Thompson uh, uh, in X Men Unlimited. Philip's been on my show. He actually lives here in Utah. We're friends now, which is amazing. Awesome. Uh, uh, there seemed to be like a lot of flirtation between her and Marrow, but it never quite explicitly stated that. But I'm kind of yeah. into the two of them together. <laughs> Me too. I I love it. Uh, when Farrell first showed up, there was like mentions of like she was running away from the morlocks and then there was like really no ever mention no mention of it like ever again and uh but she has a connection to the morlocks and as we will find out in this episode she almost has a connection to marrow and uh but yeah those scenes of marrow and feral in that x-men unlimited story were great uh me and like Regina. their celebrity couple name is meryl yeah <laughs> I, I was just gonna say uh on House of X podcast, uh, Regina and I were calling them Pharaoh. So that's better than Meryl. You, you you made a good choice there. Meryl sounds like an old man, <laughs> <laughs> or like an Academy Award winning actress. <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, we have talked about the Morlocks on this show only once. Uh, Bradley Clayton and I, did, and I did an episode on Tommy. Uh, where we talked about the Morlocks quite a bit. The Morlocks is an underground society of mutants who live in the tunnels underneath New York City. Uh, for a long time, Callisto leads them, and then there's Storm. Uh, some of these characters are huge. Some of them are beloved. They are used in the cartoons. Uh, you're you're going to think of characters like Leech. And, uh, and uh, anyway, everybody has their favorites. Sunder is a big one. There's a point where the the leadership of the Morlocks turns over to a guy named Mask, and it's M-A-S-Q-U-E. This guy is one of the most reprehensible mutants in that he's just awful, like, likes to torture people. He, uh, describe Mask for us. <laughs> We're getting to Thorn, everyone, I promise. Yeah, uh, he was, I think, just a very sad man. And he didn't like the way that Callisto led the Morlocks, and he just wanted them to live a more... I mean, Callisto didn't necessarily want them to live a peaceful life. She wanted them all to be very warlike, but Mask wanted to do things his way and not be as peaceful as like how Callisto had led the Morlocks. So Mask is a deformed, kind of old-looking, creepy guy in a purple robe he has the power to reform flesh so he can touch you and give you tentacles he can make you look like brad pitt he can melt your face and like take all of your orifices away and he's he's a particularly cruel character until like that recent marauders series where they did some kind of redemptive work with him we'll talk about mask another time so toad has reformed the brotherhood of evil mutants he's a very cruel leader and in X-Force number six, uh, he goes, uh, takes the Brotherhood to form a partnership with the Morlocks. It's never quite really fleshed out why, except he, maybe he sees this as an opportunity to gain power. 
Uh, Mask basically says, I'll join you if you kill the new X-Force team. And this is where we first meet Thorn. So Thorn has two N's at the end of her name, because why not? Uh, where does... Usually, I think an extra letter implies evil. Where? Why does Thorn choose one extra N, do you believe? Uh... I don't know. I think she maybe she just wanted to be like extra sharp. So she's an extra sharp thorn. She's uh she's very thorny. <laughs> yeah. She's she's not very thorny. Uh no. Thorn is uh the sister of Feral. Feral is very alley cat, where Thorn is very house cat. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. a good comparison her real name is lucia uh, lucia Caya santos we'll learn more about their history a little bit later but when we first meet them she has some kind of tiger stripes on her leg she's like thick bushy brown hair and like the longest curly kitty cat tail and sharp claws her hair is more long she's wearing a golden swimsuit uh what are your thoughts as you first look at thorn show up on the panel and why did you choose this character? Dylan wanted to do Thorn in particular for this episode. Um, I will answer why I wanted to do this character first. Uh, the reason I wanted to do Thorn is kind of, I think, the reason I love the characters that I do. I love the characters who are not the most popular. I don't like the front burner characters. I like the back burner characters. And... Even when I started reading X-Force and then as I got older and reread it to understand things more, uh, I know that X-Force was already like a team of like Z-listers kind of because like the New Mutant characters like Cannonball and Sunspot, they were popular. Mm -hmm. But other characters like Warpath or Siren aren't necessarily known. And so that's why I really loved Warpath. Sure. But coming into comics <clears throat> and being new at that time, I didn't really know that about Feral, so I thought Feral was like the front tier of cat characters. <laughs> so I was like, I love her sister instead. I prefer Thorn to Feral. And I was like, I just purposely want to be that person that likes the not popular person. So I'm like, I like this cat over the other cat. I so love that. That's that's why I love her. Um as a child, I loved how she looked with her long hair, but then as an adult, I realized that it was a mullet, and I, or that it very much appears to look like a mullet, and I'm like, I hate mullets. Why would I like this character? Do you know the character I latched onto in my teen years? I, I was similar. I like to choose the obscure. And I had my very favorite heroes and villains, of course. But the character that I'm most nostalgic for when I look back to Teenage Chad is Caliban. I fucking love Caliban. We'll we'll get to Caliban on my show one day. But I have such a special place in my heart for that weirdo. He's so great. He's a Morlock. So I, I feel like every X-Fan is like, they secretly really love all the Morlocks. But they prefer the X-Men. So they only talk about them. 
we could probably riff on cat women for about five minutes if we chose to. There are so many women cat characters. Uh, I've interviewed Linda Fight on my show, who was the first female writer at Marvel. She created the character, the cat. And she even told me like, oh, great. Roy Thomas assigned me a girl in a cat costume so she can have cat fights. Great. This sounds exciting. <laughs> and that character has become Tigra. There's Hellcat and there's Catwoman. And there's just the people love a cat lady. They do. Black cat. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, there's 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 lots there's like two cheetah cheetah from yes. like Wonder Woman. Uh, there's uh, there's and there's a number of just like hairy ladies with claws, of course. Yes, that, that look very cat like. Uh, Hepzibah, who was originally. Oh, there's uh, there's the lynx, like skunk. the yes, lynx, and... like the Wolverine character. Yeah, we could we could go on for a while if we really yeah. thought about. Yeah, it. there's there's a lot. Thorne's voice to me, we know that she has a uh, kind of a New York. Puerto Rican uh, lilt to her voice. Uh, I am not going to attempt any sort of accent, but her initial speech as the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants are proposing the alliance to the Morlocks. She says, the toad knows you cannot see the light by lurking in the shadows. He knows the only way for mutants such as we to earn their rightful place, or excuse me, he, only, he knows the only way for mutants such as we to earn their rightful due is through force of action. And he'll have Thorn on his side for that. And I say the rest of we Morlocks want to taste some blood as well, starting now. And starting with Mask's biggest mistake as leader of the Morlocks, we want the escaped one killed. We want Feral. And so we don't know it's Feral's sister yet, but here's a cat lady who's very pissed off at Feral for some reason. At another cat lady. <laughs> yes. Uh, we're going to learn their history in a while. It's hard to know exactly what Thorn is going through here, but... I'm picturing her in the Morlock tunnels. Uh, Feral has gotten away with some shit. We'll talk about that in a while. And now she kind of has her place in the sun. She's being recognized as a hero. And uh, Thorn just wants to fucking cut her down, probably for a number of reasons. But I imagine anger and jealousy are two of the big reasons here, if we're looking at this character's motivations. Uh, any thoughts there? Yeah, without spoiling the rest it, it yeah it's definitely that feral is now she's basically an x-man even though she's a part of x-force she's an x-man she's accepted by the x-men she's up there saving humans and being recognized like that so when we talk later we'll realize why that is definitely not the place that she should be and why thorn would be mad about it we want to taste your blood she says uh, in number seven, we get the signature Thorn costume, <laughs> such as it is. Would you like to describe her golden Leifeld costume? Oh my God. So as a child, it was so very confusing because in one issue, she looked cool in the gold swimsuit and everything. But then like the next issue, she's the only one of the brotherhood that like changes outfits and she has like a padded head sock like Shatterstar and then like armor. It's like a, it's a, like a gladiatorial combat helmet yeah. kind of thing. Yes. And then, yeah, and then, the armor is all gold. And shoulder pads and just something that doesn't seem like someone who's so savage. Like she seems like a savage creature that would not want to be tethered or held back by any type of clothing. But then this outfit literally the only thing you can see is her face and her hair and her tail 
And uh, Layfield, I kind of get the gist. He was running behind some deadlines. The art seems to take a few shortcuts. In the very next issue in number eight, we get a giant flashback sequence that feels like they had to work in some old art to help him catch up and stay with deadlines. That's the cable and the six pack stuff. Uh, this story drags on a little for that reason. Uh, but yeah, Thorn sneaks into the base. Uh, they're basically attacking X-Force in their house because reasons. Uh, Mask wants them to be attacked. That's why. I think maybe Mask was trying to get with Thorn. And she's like, only if we go after X-Force first, <laughs> then maybe. And so now they're they're using the Brotherhood on this mission. That's that's my headcanon. I mean, at this point in X-Men comics, seeing all the characters that we had seen as Morlocks even though she is covered in hair, like Thorn is one of the hottest Morlocks that we've ever seen at that point. So I wouldn't blame Mask. He's like, oh my God, what do I do to make her happy? <laughs> uh, okay, so we have an interchange between Farrell and Thorn here. We're going to read out loud. Which character do you want to read? Uh, I would like to be Thorn. Okay, so Farrell says, hey, sis, let's make like a scene out of Dynasty and have a cat fight, which is so great. <laughs> stupid. You're an idiot, Maria. You always have been, and I've always beaten the tar out of you too, little sister. Uh, Cable comes in, summons Farrell, but she refuses. She says, I have some things to settle with big sis. <laughs> Run to your master, Maria. Run like you always have. Run while you still can. I'm sick of running. No, since I was a baby, you made me run and hide from you, from myself. I'm not running away again, Lucia. <laughs> then you've just made the last mistake of your miserable little life, Mahita. Thorn grabs Farrell by the neck and knocks her out and says, she's, she says, playtime's over, kitten. <laughs> Lights out, little sister. Uh, now, do I have to? Now, do I let you live or put you both out of our misery? How many times do you? How many lives do you have left anyway? How many more chances are you going to get before you pay for everything you've done? We have. They call each other sis or sister like six times. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, we got a literal cat fight, and Fabian even calls it out. He's like, "Let's let's do the, the, the dynasty thing. Let's have a cat fight." Yeah, it it was amazing. I re I remember. Because, like, unless you read, like, these three issues of X-Force, you would never know that Thorne, like, existed <laughs> for, like, the longest time. And I remember, like, online and meeting people online, like, some people never even knew that Thorne existed. And they're like, really? Farrell has a sister? And I'm like, yes, please go back and read their first fight because they call each other sister, like, every other word. I mean... <laughs> so Farrell is like a D-list character. Thorn is like a, a Z-list character. Yes. I mean, I mean, she has potential for sure. We'll talk about her potential, but she's very lesser known in the X-Men franchise for sure. Yes. Um, these fights between X-Force and the Morlocks and the Brotherhood drag on for a couple of issues. It seems like things are forgotten. It's a little bit savage sometimes. Uh, the stuff with Sauron and Blob in particular, there's a, a Shatterstar, uh, Fabian wrote Shatterstar, like particularly brutal against some of his enemies. Like, Blob, you're invulnerable everywhere else, so let me stab you in the eyes and mouth instead. You're like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, they were very brutal. The, the, the first like 10 or 12 issues of X-Force, it's like, it kind of drags on, but there's also just like fights in every issue. And there's like some of those fights, if you read them now, you'd be like, this is brutal. Like, yeah. this is dark and dangerous. Uh, 
I mean, we're in an era now where people are getting like their heads lopped off or, you know, Moira wears skin suits. Yes. <laughs> but for the 90s in particular, this was savage for an X-Men book. Um, we see Thorne in the conclusion to this story at number nine. She slashes a boom, boom. Domino kicks her ass, except it's not Domino. It's actually copycat, but that's a story for another time. <laughs> Thorne fights with Cable. He shoots Sauron from behind and she calls Cable a monster. And then as she's defeated, Thorne sees that Cable is part cyborg. It carries over again into X-Force number 11. Oh, maybe X-Force number 10 is the one with the flashback that I talked about. Anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, Thorne is taken in chains back to the Morlocks along with what look like the corpses of Mask and Sauron, but they're both still alive. And Cable brutally like throws these corpses to the ground as like, Morlocks, leave me the fuck alone. Like, <laughs> And uh, he leaves Thorne behind and Feral's like, I'll get back at you another day. And then they're they're off. Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts here? <laughs> uh, it really, looking at it back now and reading it later on as, a, as an adult, I was, it seems like a very filler type of thing that I don't know how it lasted more than one issue but it did and then it really wasn't even that big of a fight like it did nothing and went nowhere and it's never it was like never referenced ever again and it took a very long time before we ever saw Thorn again as well uh okay so we're gonna fast forward a lot happens in continuity we are now up to 1994. It is cable number 15. And the Morlock tunnels are used in the stories quite often. They pick them up every few years, at least in these eras of the books. But this is a, a, a story by Jeff Loeb. It's beautifully told, actually. It's uh, Cable and Domino going on a date. We won't spend a lot of time on the date, but it's really cute because they're both mercenaries. They're awkward with each other. I really love this issue. It's it's such a cute issue because they don't know what to do. And so like Siren helps Domino and Sam helps Cable. And I, I meant to look this up. I can't remember who the artist is of that issue, but the art was just beautiful too. It, it was really stunning. Cause you also get to see Domino who is usually that mercenary in like a full length dress. And, yeah. And she looks so good. Uh, the artist is David Brewer, who I'm not super familiar with. Yeah, I uh, feel like I never saw that art ever again, but that issue is beautiful. Yeah, it's really, it's really pretty. There's a lot of characters. Oh, there's a lot happening in the comics right here. Um, Mikhail Rasputin, who is the reality warping older brother of Colossus, uh, floods the Morlock tunnels. And the story that pays off from here is he ends up taking all of the Morlocks. Instead of killing them, he takes them to another dimension called The Hill, where time passes very quickly. I think it's called The Hill. Time passes very quickly, and the characters all age and become warriors. And then they return to Earth as a group called the Gene Nation, and they're these, like, savage monsters who start slaughtering humans. Marrow is one of those characters. And in this particular issue, this is technically Marrow's first appearance. We have a child named Sarah who is going to be lost and then go off to this dimension and come back as the character Marrow. And Marrow is a beloved favorite for many X-Men fans, even though she's not often used. Although she is getting used in uh, in Thorin Gronbuck's new uh, Realm of X series, which I'm thrilled about. It's going to be really fun. Uh, so talk to me about what happens in Cable 15, Dylan. 
So in the issue, Cable and Domino are on their date. And while they're on their date, uh, Cable starts sensing and realizing that they're being watched and that someone's there. And he instantly assumes it's Feral. Because at this point in time in X-Force comics, Feral had left the team. She joined the Mutant Liberation Front. She became evil. She was a bad guy. So she hasn't been like around. me. Fuck you. I'm going to, I'm going to them. <laughs> yeah, she was gone. And so he instantly thought this was her. And so then I, if I'm remembering correctly, it just seems like he jumps in the bush to attack and <laughs> it's Thorn, not him. And wow, she's, wow, she says, <laughs> yeah. and she was actually coming to him for help because she was in the Morlock tunnels when Mikhail flooded them and took a bunch of Morlocks with him. She tried to save this little girl named Sarah, but she couldn't, but she knew that there was some, something that she could do to be able to reach out to where the Morlocks went, but she wouldn't be able to get there or do it herself. And she knew that Cable would be able to help. So she was going to him for help. And he wasn't happy at first. Uh, Sarah, the little girl, has got pink skin. She kind of reminds me of the character Curse or like Artie Maddox. They're the other pink skinned little kids. <laughs> yes, little pink, pink skinned creeps. But to Thorn, Sarah seems to represent innocence and hope. She's the child among the Morlocks that needs protection. And she thinks she's going mad. She keeps seeing Sarah's image in the tunnels. And this is a woman who we're going to learn in a little while has already lost basically her entire family, except for Feral, in a very tragic way. And now the Morlocks have been washed away. And this uh, this is almost the most haunting or the most uh, resonant thing for Thorne's character for me. It's something that's not even really explored on panel except briefly in this issue. But this idea of her as the woman in the tunnels who's lost everything and she's the only one left, there's something really, uh, really, I don't know, powerful about that motivation for her because she's already lost so much. So I, I almost picture her in kind of like trauma bonding with little Sarah a little bit, like yeah. Uh, I couldn't save my own family, but I'll save you. And now she sees this child's image and thinks she's going crazy. Uh, I don't know. Thoughts on that? It's just like you said. Uh, I mean, we'll get to it more, but it's it's very sad. Like, if you're someone that's reading all of the Thorn X4 stuff to this point, you're like, there's more there, but we don't know. And so it, it makes it even more sad because you have to fill in the blanks yourself. But you're like, you can only imagine what is going through her head we already know that she has some sort of beef with her little sister feral and so you know that there's this woman who cares so much about this little girl but she hates her little sister already and so there's a lot going on there and you just you want to know what's happening and this is fabian right so we we've, we've gone from the angry cat lady to now in one single appearance which uh there was a lot of mutant characters to choose from so even getting an appearance was a big deal back then uh, but we've now seen her as the abandoned, lonely survivor who's desperate to save a child. Now, this apparent ghost of Sarah has told Thorne to perform a ritual called the Ceremony of Light. Dylan, what's the Ceremony of Light? It is... I'm going to butcher it, so you'll have to clean it up. <laughs> it, it's It's basically getting all these pieces of glass or mirrors in the sewer in certain areas to be able to open up a portal to where Mikhail took them. 
Well, so prior to that, so this is, Sarah says you have to do the ceremony of light. It's a Morlock ritual that you get the idea that they would do it kind of as a holiday in the Morlock tunnels. They would line up all of these uh, mirrors and bring light directly from the surface and use mirrors to flash it into the inside corridors to make everything kind of shiny and beautiful. And I don't know why this opens up the portal, but it allows the child, Sarah, to return. So this is kind of what Thorne needs help with. Like, you know, hey, I'm not crazy. Uh, Cable and Domino, can I interrupt your date? Will you please help me set up the ceremony of lights? And the the tunnels are lit up and Thorne just bursts into tears. Uh, it's like hope, but everything is empty. I get the song from like Le Miserable, like empty chairs at empty tables passes through my head here for her. All my yes. friends are dead and gone. Uh, Sarah passes through this portal and basically says, everyone else is too scared, uh, but I'll be back. Don't worry. And then she disappears. And Thorne finally says, I'm all alone. Cable offers to give her a home, but she chooses to just stay in the tunnels instead. Uh, God, it's a pretty story. Uh, <laughs> do you have final thoughts on uh, Cable 15? Uh, it was, I remember when... Uh, that issue came out because I was not a cable fan, but the cover had Thorn on it. So I remember I bought it because it had Thorn on it. Actually, the art of the the cover is really weird, and it almost looks like a different cat person. It does not look like Feral or Thorn, but it looks more like Feral. And so I remember getting it. I'm like, oh my god, Feral's back! No, it it was not. It was Thorn. But uh it kind it was an issue that kind of almost made me start liking cable i was just again not wanting to like the fan favorites and definitely not wanting to like a summers cuz they're all overrated but he instantly wanted to help her he instantly wanted to give her a home when she realized she was alone and yeah it was just beautifully done and the morlock stories are sometimes super beautiful when you don't realize it like it's these stories about these ugly people that just want acceptance that are just like us that care and love and feel and so like we were seeing that thorn cares and loves and feels about this child and she just wanted to make sure she wasn't going crazy also so yeah the morlock stories are beautiful and people i don't think realize that all the time but they really are now, of course, Fabian did not know what he was going to write in the future, but we're going to talk about Thorne's next story and then go back and reflect on her collapsing in the tunnels finally and saying, I'm all alone, because it's it's really resonant. We don't have a lot of information on this story, but she has a pretty powerful origin. So it's now X-Force number 41 of 1994 again. Fabian Nicieza and Tony Daniel are on the book. There's a detective named Jose Hidalgo who is looking for Lucia in the tunnels, uh, and he's got Code Blue with him. And Code Blue are the super-powered cops that work for New York City. That's all you need. They, these are kind of weird Thor characters. Uh, Thorn leaps out at him, and they tranquilize her and tell her that she is under the arrest or under arrest for the murders of Carolina, Mateo, and Marcela Callasantos. And uh, as she falls asleep, she says, I didn't do it. Farrell did. Uh, so quite a beginning. They have to go into the tunnels, tranquilize her, arrest her, and then we learn that there are three people who have the same last name as her who have been murdered that she's being accused of. It's a it's a pretty strong beginning. Yeah, and I remember when I read that issue that uh, anyway, Farron Thorne's last name is just amazing. It, it, <laughs> Cala Santos is just a name that 
demands attention. And then it made me think of when Feral and Thorne fought in the early issues of X-Force and Feral mentioning Dynasty. I'm just like, oh my God, there's this like amazing soap opera starting to happen. And yeah, (laughs) I remember thinking that, like I knew their last names, but then when I realized there's three more people, I'm like, oh my God, this is a soap opera. We're going to get like eight more people with this last name. So So, uh, this book is rough. These next two issues go to a place of trauma. Uh, So listeners, just be, I don't know, take care of yourselves as we're going to talk about this next part, because it's a pretty trauma dumpy episode when we learn about the history of Feral. After I picked Thorne, I was like, oh my God, I'm... There might have to be like a warning at the beginning of this you're episode. Like, you're like, I'm going to go on the trauma therapist show. We should talk about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So Jose Hidalgo is the detective. He explains that he loved Lucia before she transformed, which is always a gross thing to say to someone. I loved you even before you became who you are. Uh, and now he's uh, a cop who's out to get her justice for her family. We're going to learn what's going on here in a moment. But let's let's read this interchange between them. Will you be uh, Thorne again? Yes. So as they're talking, she says. That's what it's about for you, Jose. A cop just doing his job. Well, you got me. One more lousy human killing mutie brought to justice, huh? Lucia, when we were kids, you knew how I felt about you. You know how much I cared for you. When you ran away, you took my heart with you. I have to know, is the girl I loved a cold-blooded killer? And the media surround the place, and then the friends of fucking humanity show up. We'll talk about them another (laughs) time. Uh, Thorne calls Cable to represent her in court, and the friends of humanity infiltrate the police in order to kill Thorne because she's been accused of public murder. Friends of humanity are, uh, I mean, they're the proud boys. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> they're showing up at all places where mutants are involved and saying, we're going to kill you. They're, they're very uh, 90s cartoon era of the X-Men. Uh, X-Force breaks Thorne free because she's going to be killed in the court. And Hidalgo comes with them and they go back to the home where she grew up where her family died and Farrell is waiting there. And uh, Hidalgo says, the girl I used to know, the girl you were, Lucia Calle Santos, had a lot of hope inside her heart. Is there any left inside the mutant named Thorn? God, this guy's dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, hope left me a long time ago, stamped out so hard that I can barely remember what it felt like. And then Thorne starts sharing memories from her youth. And I'm just going to cover this all in one reading and we'll talk about it. When she was a child, she would often get left to watch her younger siblings. And one day she went outside to play with her friend Jose and his friends and left little Maria inside. And Farrell, Maria is Farrell. She's probably five or six in this first flashback story. Maria is inside watching kind of baby Carolina and Carolina died And Lucia didn't know if she had fallen down the stairs or if Maria had pushed her. So if Farrell did kill her little sister, she's only a child, but we're clearly showing some serial killer techniques or tendencies, Mm -hmm. or it's possible that this little girl fell down the stairs. But I'm picturing like a working mom leaving the kids at home and she comes home to find out her baby is dead. And Uh goodness, what what that would do to an already poor family. And then it's a few years later, and uh, the little brother, Matteo, has fallen off the roof. And Lucia wonders again if Maria was responsible. We're going to come back to the rooftop in just a minute. 
Then when Lucia and Maria were teenagers, their mother was murdered and Maria and Lucia went missing around that time. So pause there. We're going to get to the truth of what happened in just a little while, but that's the initial flashback that we get. Uh, Farrell grabs Hidalgo. She jumps out. Uh, he tells her that they found the body of a man named Harry Ballinger stuffed into, good Lord, stuffed into the walls of a nearby building. So that's what reopened this case. This man's body has been discovered, and that's why he's coming after uh, uh, Thorne for murder. Uh, so we're going to come back to the rest of that flashback in a second. Do you have comments before I continue? It, at this point, it's like soap opera meets mafia. And it's, I know it sounds awful, but it also sounds, it's really amazing and like very interesting. Good. You're like, Good. we're actually giving like a really cool story to Farrell and Thorne who have at this point not really ever had a really good story. So it's like, oh my God, we're finally getting depth to these characters. It's also like the little possessed girl horror movie as well. The little serial killer mm -hmm. five-year-old that smiles at you. Hi. And like, then she's got a knife in her hand. Like that, that's feral in these flashbacks. <laughs> yeah. And as you're reading it at this point, and we will find out more, you're like, oh, wait, feral, even though we all met her as like a hero, like, no, she was really the bad guy. She was the bad guy. <laughs> Thorn was not, even though we met Thorn as a, part of the brotherhood no feral even though really she wants to taste your blood <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay so here's the real flashback and again i'm going to cover this all we we get a uh, context for what happened and uh i want to just shout out to fabian this is a beautiful story it's really an incredible thing when you make families layered and complex Right. You have uh, multiple siblings and stepdads and trauma mixed in like this feels like a real family thing that actually happened. It's it's a really well-developed story in a very short amount of space. Uh, so the Kaya Santos is growing up. There's four kids, Lucia, Maria, Carolina, Mateo, and they're living in poor housing. They have a father who hid his wife, who later abandoned the family, and he eventually died in an alley of an overdose. And then mom started drinking too much. And her boyfriend, Harry, would paw at the girls each night. And Lucia would hide, but Maria would fight back. Uh, Maria's only solace was her pigeons. She took care of the dirty neighborhood birds on the roof. Maria's mom complained how her husband left after Carolina was born. And Lucia believed that Maria had killed Carolina in an attempt to help her mother. I'm throwing a lot of names out here. So we're getting the vibe here that uh, baby Farrell understood that her baby sister had driven her dad away based on her mom's words. So that may have been her motivation for killing, basically. Uh, Maria then claims that Matteo had been chasing her pigeons all off the roof, and he fell off one day and couldn't put himself back up, pull himself back up. It's never clearly stated if she killed him or pushed him off the roof. Uh, but again, she's a child here. Then when Lucia is 17... Harry, the mom's boyfriend, who had also gotten mom addicted to drugs, started being sexually aggressive with Lucia. This particular next part is the most brutal, gut-punchy part of the whole issue for me, even though people have died. Uh, he's, he's being sexually aggressive with Lucia, and he says he, quote, likes furry chicks, end quote, which is so creepy and rapey and groomy. Ugh, I hate it. Uh, but one night he tried to rape her in an alley. <sighs> And Maria killed him. 
And Thorne said that this was the night that she lost Maria and that Farrell was in her place. And because this man was now dead, Lucia and Maria hid the body together. And in order to get revenge, Maria's mom then killed uh, Farrell's pigeons on the roof. And then Farrell killed her mother. Uh, so the whole family is gone. Uh, so X-Force is there. Farrell finally admits the truth in like a very like, fine, it was me. Ha, I admit it. I'm a murderess. Like she has this very dramatic monologue at the end and then she gets arrested. Uh, okay, so let's talk about this story. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. Uh, I feel like I keep saying this, but I remember when I read this and I was younger, I was like, I love, I loved it because I was getting depth, but then I was like, oh my God, this is maybe too dark for me as a child reading this. I think it hit me harder rereading it for this episode because I hadn't read it in a long time than it did when I was a teen reading it the first time. It yeah. it really got me. It's a, it's a brutal family trauma story. Yeah. A few years ago when Regina and I started our podcast, like, Regina doesn't know too much of the past of certain books outside of X-Men, and that includes X-Force. And so she didn't really know why I loved Feral and Thorne so much, but especially Thorne. And because Thorne has only been in a handful of books, I was like, just read X-Force 40 and 41. <laughs> and Regina's oh, like, okay. So and, then she, <laughs> and then she read it and she's like, this is the worst book I've ever read. Why do you like these characters? And I'm like, but it gives you an idea of how tragic they are. And I think I, besides loving Z-list characters for being Z-list, I love the tragic ones too. And Yeah. So we have murder, animal murder, rape and sexual assault, drug addiction, drug overdose, alcoholism, uh, abusive and neglectful parents, and then finally two girls who have to murder a man and bury his body in the walls of a nearby building. Which, good lord, that would smell. <laughs> yes, but I, I mean, again, I mentioned the whole mafia thing. I'm, I'm sure there's lots of buildings in New York that have bodies in them, so people don't even know. So this was, uh, this was obviously years later. But when we add this story to Thorne's first appearance now. She has run away. Uh, we learned that she had this guy that loved her, but she left him behind because she killed somebody. And now she's living in the tunnels. And uh, and I mentioned earlier, Maria is now getting headlines, right? Like she's acting as a hero with these mercenaries. And uh, that's kind of where Thorne's motivation at the beginning comes from then. In almost a, a comical way, like, I want their blood. Let's get them. Meow, you know, like, uh, yes. But but it gives some depth to the character that we needed pretty badly. And then we fast forward slash rewind to Cable 15 and her collapsing in the tunnels and her only hope is gone. And she's, I'm all alone. I'm going to live here by myself now. When we add the trauma and the loss to all of that, it, it makes for a pretty compelling character who would fight for anything, but is so afraid to lose anything. You know, it's uh, there, there's something about her. Yeah, there's... Like right now in X-Men comics, so many of the creators like Teeny Howard or Zeb Wells, they will talk about how like some of the best stories that they write and some of the best stories that we all love right now are the characters who have so much trauma and have so much tragedy and so much everything. And like Thorne has that, like the characters that everybody loves right now for having a tragic life, Thorne has that and has for a while, but like she's always just been like by herself. Sure. and it's awful and i think growing up 
I liked those tragic characters then, just like I do now. Everything else that Thorne has shown up in does not feel like Thorne. <laughs> Uh, we have uh, New X-Men 133. It's eight years later. This is the Grant Morrison era of the book. And he's trying to make mutants like a worldwide presence. This is a bold era in comics that's really incredible. And Grant, uh, bless their heart, just has done incredible work that's, that's remembered as something incredible. Uh, so the X-Men have gone uh, out loud. The mutants have communities and cities and in some cases countries. And uh, the X-Men have established the X-Corporation and opened offices all over the globe and they're stationing them with different mutants. So this is a super fun idea. But we have the branch in Mumbai, India. <laughs> and there's not a single Indian mutant who's working no, there. No, there's not. Who are the four agents of X Corporation Mumbai? It is Farrell and Thorne, and they're working alongside an X-Force friend, Warpath, and Sunfire. <laughs> so a Native but, American, two Puerto Rican uh, New Yorkers, and a, and a Japanese national hero <laughs> in Mumbai. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and Farrell and Thorne are friends here, kind of. I mean, they get a little sparry, but they're like, uh, they're they're hanging out as sisters here. So something has happened to help these characters get along. I truly don't know what it is. Maybe Xavier just fucked with their heads. I, I don't know. It's hard to imagine them being friends here. In In my head, I wrote a story that they went to prison and they had their own cell together. And maybe like their cell, like had a window that went outside and there was pigeons and like Maria like became good again because she got to have pigeons and Thorne was there to just love on her sister. <laughs> That's uh, my head cannon. <laughs> oh my God. We skipped over this and Farrell will, I mean, if I make this podcast long enough, Farrell will eventually get a trial on my show in like 12 years. But uh, Farrell's love of pigeons, the fact that this girl found the dirty, like, sky rats of New York City to be the things that she loved is so, this is so much about her character. To yeah, me. there's layers there at, yeah. for just liking pigeons in New York. Because <laughs> the pigeons in New York are gross. They're so gross. <laughs> um, so the the, uh, the sisters have stylized yellow and black costumes. Thorne has a short buzz cut here. They're trading quips. Thorne calls Farrell a cow once. <laughs> they uh, Then they get involved in a complicated X-Men mission where it's kind of not really important. But Lilandra tried to kill Professor X for the crimes of Cassandra Nova because Cassandra Nova... Uh, destroyed a bunch of things and killed billions or something in the Shi'ar Empire. And then they helped them find the mutant dust, uh, Surak Kadir, who we love. But none of that is really important to Thorne's story, in my opinion. Any, uh, any thoughts on Thorne in X-Corp? The X-Corp days, I, I love Grant. They did amazing work with X-Books in that time. I'm not sure if the X Corp thing was a good thing that they did or not. It, <laughs> I mean, especially when you're going to put a team like that in Mumbai. And I none mean, of them are Indian. We're getting some of this on Krakoa. There's so many characters we want to see. If you even see them in appearance in one, like one team in one thing, you're like, yay. Yes. I mean, I remember I was super excited when this happened because Warpath wasn't in books at this time. And then they're like, oh, Warpath is back and he's on this team with Farrell and Thorne. And I'm like, oh my God, three of my favorite people are on this weird team in Mumbai. 
okay, then we got the decimation. We fast forward a few more years. Scarlet Witch has gone crazy. All the mutants except like 198 have been confirmed as losing their powers. And in the book called, God, some of these titles and I review these. This is the name of this book. Decimation, House of M, The Day After, number one. Whoa, that's so many words. Ridiculous. Uh, Thorne lost her powers. And uh, Lucia and uh, Maria are looking very human. And they get overwhelmed by a crowd of humans who just didn't understand the changes they had gone through. So they're kind of, they're, they're, they're just, uh, there's a, a, a couple hundred <laughs> examples of this in this era where you're seeing mutants who lost their powers and what happened to them. Uh, they yeah. show up for about five seconds here. Yeah, uh, they, they mainly just had like a few pages of panels of like mutants that you're used to being physically mutated and then showing what they look like now. And so <laughs> these two had one panel where they looked really weird as humans. It's uh, it's it's fine. Again, you got to see them. Uh, and I, I just know you're going to have words about Wolverine Volume 3, numbers 53 through 55. This is a 2007 book. Uh, Jeff Loeb and Simone Bianchi are on uh, the book. Simone's got a very, oh goodness, it, 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 his art kind of comes across like uh, like mural painting for me. Yes. It's really big, very painted, very, it's a pretty book, but this is a weird story. As much as I love Jeff Loeb, this is a weird, very savage era for Wolverine. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a choice to have someone who is such a mural like artist on such a very bloody book. <laughs> <laughs> this book, and there's been more in modern books, but this book has one of the goriest pages in X-Men comics up to this point, if not the very goriest. Uh we'll get there in a second. Uh okay. There's multiple times we see stories about mutants who have similar power sets kind of all united together. And they love to do it most with like the wolfy, cat, hairy, look, I can smell things and stab them with my claws characters. Uh, they like to bring them all together once in a while and uh, just pretend that like they're all one race or something. Uh Sometimes that's done literally, like uh, Romulus and Remus, for God's sake, or uh, or uh, those Maximus Lobo was that that guy's name, the the yes. hairy the hairy mutant guys. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. Do you want to tell us about this Wolverine story? Sure. So, uh, Wolverine is having a bunch of bad dreams, and he wakes up to find Storm and a lot of the animal-like mutants of his life there. Uh, it's Feral, Thorn, Black Panther, Sasquatch, Wolfsbane. They're all telling him that he needs to, to go to Weapon X to find Wild Child. Real quick, Feral and Thorn are in their feline forms again. Mm -hmm. And it's never explained how, but they have their feline forms back, but they don't have their powers. They only just have the form and that that makes no damn sense maybe but... they shaved prior to their last appearance and their hair has grown back now because there were a lot of mutants who uh kept the same appearance but lost their powers yes so that could be the thing or maybe they got some hair growth they they got they joined that club <laughs> i mean when they were in that one panel of that book with the 20 word title thing they were hairless and then all of a sudden in wolverine they have hair again and also, Sasquatch is not a fucking mutant, but exactly. 
so they've been told to go to Weapon X to find Wild Child. What happens next? Uh, Feral and Thorn are very sisterly in this. They're they're lovey dovey, like we had read them in like X Corp and everything. And everyone goes with Wolverine on this mission to Weapon X, and they all kind of like split up to go find Wild Child. And when they do that, Feral leaves on her own, and she comes across Sabretooth. And Feral, who I don't even think, even if she had her powers, would have had a chance, is then next scene ripped in literal half on a page. And it was one of the most gruesome things that I have seen because it's a character I like. So then when I got to that page, I was just like, like this is I the Banshee skin suit moment of this era. Yes. But it, it's not, I, I reference there's the bloodiest panel. This isn't even it. It gets, it gets grosser. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, loving Feral and knowing that Sabretooth is such a psycho and we've seen Sabretooth rip people in half before, but none of them were like important characters unless it was Wolverine, but we all knew that Wolverine would be fine. But yeah, I remember when I saw that page, I was like, I don't think she can come back from this. This is part of a really long Wolverine story featuring or themed around the character Romulus. That's the reason they've all gathered here. They can all sense Romulus is coming. He's coming after the Harry Claude guy, <laughs> the Clary, Clary Claude mutants. Yeah. Uh, Dylan, tell us about Romulus in 30 words or less. <laughs> okay, I'm going to say I don't really know too much about Romulus oh, except for... Yeah, you you should say. Well, I mean, I'll keep this very brief. Romulus was created to be like an ancient evil that had been manipulating Wolverine his whole life, basically. He looks like Sabretooth except old man, kind of, and he has a sister named Remus. It's based on an old myth. Uh, and he's a character through a few years of Wolverine comics where he's just literally unbeatable until they just beat him in the dumbest way ever at the end. We'll talk more about Romulus another time, but that's kind of all you need. They tried to make him a thing, but it just hasn't been something that has stuck very well. They try over and over again. And my description was just going to be, he's this weird like Wolverine god who hates Wolverine. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. He's kind of like the kingpin version of Sabretooth, except he's been around for a hundred years. I mean, yeah, he's he's fine. I no, he's not. Romulus is a terrible character. <laughs> uh Thorn finds her sister's body torn in half. Uh that's a pretty rough thing for this character who has now seen everyone in her family brutally murdered. Yeah, I remember like when I read it, I was like, and then got done. I was like, oh, that's that's sad. Feral's dead and now Thorne's by herself. But then, yeah, I remember like after I read it, when I went to bed that night, I was thinking more about it. And I'm like, oh, my God, she is literally now lost all of her family, even though the one that just died is the one that killed the rest of her family. She's now lost her as well. <laughs> and I'm like, Thorne, how does she keep going? Well, and then she's just gone forever after this. Uh, the bloody paddle I referenced earlier, Wolverine uses the Muramasa blade, which is, oh God, Wolverine has a lot of stuff, you guys. Uh, the Muramasa blade is a, a, a blade with 
soul in it that can hack or anything. Oh God, I just have to go, don't have to go into it. But it's like the one thing Wolverine can't heal from, like one of the one things. So Wolverine uses the blade to just hack Sabretooth to pieces, like lops his head off, lots his arm off. Uh, and Sabretooth is dead, except it wasn't Sabretooth. We learned that in another story. Uh, but that's the really brutal panel. Feral ripped in half is one. Sabretooth being hacked to pieces on panel is another, because one's a corpse and the other is the, the literal action taking place. It's a, and again, it's by Simone Bianchi. So it's this like gorgeous panoramic of a man's head being lopped off. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, thoughts there before we move on? Uh, I mean, I, at that point in time in my comic loving days, I didn't really care that much about Wolverine or Sabretooth. I really only read those books because I knew Feral and Thorn and Wolfsbane, because I like Wolfsbane, were making an appearance. But I was like, wow. Seeing Sabretooth get beheaded, I was like, this is this is a lot and like epic. Um Farrell comes back as a ghost in X Factor in a story we do not need to talk about today that runs for about 75 issues, it feels like. Uh and then she has been resurrected on Krakoa. She's gotten a little bit of airtime here and there. I just learned today. I had to do some extra research. Thorn has shown up on Krakoa in one panel. Did you know this already? I think I don't. She's in the <laughs> background in Exterminators by Leah Williams, uh, playing basketball on Krakoa in just oh. one random background. I suppose it's possible it's not her, but it looks like her to me. I'm going to so, look it up. I missed that. I'm assuming that Thorn is happy on Krakoa. Um, whenever we're doing these discussions, first of all, it's really fun to learn the characters people are nostalgic over. And I love that you love Thorn in this way. Uh, yeah. When I do these episodes, I develop a relationship with these characters. So now I'm very fond of her also. Uh, I always ask this question, what's the story we need? What's the story about Thorn that we need to make her a player, to have people love her in the way that you do? Oh, it's such a good question. We could do the typical story where she gets to be the featured Wolverine-like character on a team, and we actually get to see some of her thoughts and her relationships with others. I mean, there's always that. People would learn to care about her that way. Yeah, I, I've that could be a way. I mean, Hellions, I feel like, forced people to read stories about characters that they didn't care about or never wanted to care about, and then everyone loves all of them now except for maybe empath, but like <laughs> there's so many people that love gray crow now that would have never loved or read a story with gray crow. So yeah, maybe something like that. Or I, I don't know. I'm such a person that I really love like one shot flashbacks. I would love to see what happened with Farrell and Thorn between X-Force 41 and showing up in X-Corp. I would like to know because there, there's a story there, too, of Feral. Like, what happened to Feral to make her be not mean and psycho? And that can be covered in literally just a line of dialogue. The tricky, the tricky part with characters like Thorn, let's say Marvel has hired me and they want me to put a team together and I've got a particular pitch. And they're like, you need to have one Wolverine-like character. But it can't be Wolverine. It can't be Laura Kinney. So here's the list. You can pick Scout. 
you can pick feral or wild child or saber tooth or marrow, or you can choose thorn. <laughs> and I could probably come up with six other characters in that list yes. as well. Wolves bait is on that list. So like you, you get to pick between all these characters and it is very few people who would choose thorn unless they had a really big story or a particular love for this person. Yes. And you know what, Saint? I, I'm definitely going back to look at exterminators. Um, someone like Leah would pick Thorn because Leah herself has gone through like interviews like on my show when she talked about who she picked for her X Factor. Mm -hmm. She was given a list and she was like, I'm going to pick the people for this team that no one would pick. I'll ever. take iBoy. <laughs> so yes. So I I would not put it past her if she specifically told somebody to make Thorn be in the background. I, uh, I I could also see Thorn in, uh, I mean, we give her a relationship. She's with someone and has something to nurture uh, that makes people care more. I could also see her in sort of a teacher or nurturer kind of role because she had that kind of role with the Morlocks. You get the vibe yeah. that she was, she was the big sister character. So I could yeah. see her in that type of story as well. I would, even if she ended up having like a small role, if they were to put marrow and feral on a team and continue this story that's been happening in marvel unlimited and have them actually be in a relationship with each other like that is thorn's little sister and thorn's little other sister that like she was taking care of so it would be interesting if they did continue the pharaoh relationship and then like maybe thorn's like I want to talk to the two of you because you are my family prior to you even being in a relationship with each other. Uh, I mean, and that's where I was going to end is the easiest way to work Thorn into a story is to use a story that Farrell is in. A couple pages, we see them develop kind of a sister bond. We see them talk about their shared trauma. I, it reminds people that this character is viable. Uh, I don't see it happening for Thorn. I want to. <laughs> I don't no, think it's going to happen. No, for a nothing while. will ever happen for Thorn. It'll be Feral, and I'm okay with that. Well, even uh, even Feral though, we she there's it, there's just so many characters, you know. Yes, <laughs> I did want to mention. I was super happy with a recent issue that came out of the Sins of Sinister storyline that is in storm and the brotherhood number three mm -hmm. there is in in the this era emma is like this red queen um but she has her own chimeras and she sends the chimeras to attack storm and her brotherhood and one of those chimeras is a chimera that's called hot claw and that chimera is a combination of peter wisdom uh cassie kincaid who's mercury and the other two are thorn and feral Yay! And I screamed. It used. <laughs> yes, it's, it's just an information page, but like I saw it and I was like, <laughs> like, yes, Feral is there, but Feral's been in a few things. But I was like, oh my God, oh my God, they put Thorne's name on an information page. <laughs> I'll I'll try to sum this up in less than less than fifty words. I, a lot of my listeners don't read the modern books. Sins of Sinister is an event that is exploring some future alternate timelines in which Sinister's basically infected everyone, and now they're all Sinister. And there's also a thing called Chimeras, uh, where the DNA of multiple mutants will be combined into one form. So that's what we're referencing here if you needed some context. I did pretty good. I could have made yes, that really you complicated. Did. You did. No, that, <laughs> I didn't that even a... have to mention Moira. <laughs> yes, that was a very simple, 
a simple explanation that says it. But yes, I <laughs> I, I haven't necessarily been enjoying this sins of sinister storyline but i got to this information page and i was like oh chimeras and then i was reading the list and i was like thorn <laughs> my hard rule for myself when it comes to new books is i won't let myself form an opinion until it's done then i go back and read it from the beginning because when you're reading something monthly it's mm -hmm. just not the same uh you don't know what they have planned you don't have to know how the arc's going to turn out so once sins of sinister omega or whatever it's called comes out i'll go back and i'll do the whole event from the beginning and uh, and then I'll be ready to offer my opinion. Have me on your show. We'll talk about it. <laughs> okay. Um, I wanted to mention one really cool thing about Thorn and Feral. Uh, speaking of like the language and uh, accent that they have, uh, their name sounds very Italian, but they are Hispanic, and um, it's mainly because if you were to look into who created them. It's Fabian. And Fabian is Hispanic, but he has a very Italian last name. And so it confuses people. But like way back after World War II, there was a lot of Italian people also that moved away from Europe and they moved to Argentina. And so there's a lot of Argentinian people who have Italian last names. And that it also goes for some of the creators that we have nowadays, like Luciano Vecchio, because he has a very Italian name, but he is from South America. And I just wanted to mention that because last fall I went to New York Comic Con and I got to get a, I set up a commission prior to the con from Luciano of Thorne. And he did not realize that Thorne and Farrell were Hispanic because he, he didn't know the characters that well. And so he just Googled their names and he's like, oh, they're Italian. And I was like, no. And then he's like, wait, so they're like me? And I was like, yes. And he's like, oh, of course they are because Nicieza made them. So it's a, it's a fun thing. And I got a really cool commission of both Thorne and Farrell from Luciano. That's fabulous. I have a I have a Luciano Vecchio blob on my wall, which makes me happy. <laughs> I know you do. I love it. I, when he posted that and then I saw that it was yours, I was like, of all characters, like you would not expect anyone to commit mission or have Luciano of all people <laughs> make someone like blob. I have a 60s wall. And whenever I commission, I have like a list of characters that I want covered that I haven't got yet. Uh, I've got the living monolith coming and beast is fine. So I had one artist, the only X-Men I don't have on my wall from the sixties team is beast. Uh, I had one artist hold on and said they were going to do that for about a year and a half. And then they said, actually, I can't. So I just got a different artist to commission. I finally have beast coming in. <laughs> awesome. No, I love that you are doing that. I love that your <clears throat> show had like a, a starting point and that you're like having modern artists make these characters that for some of them they haven't even really made an appearance in comics since so i love uh, that you're doing that project i fucking have kukul khan on my wall <laughs> yes yes sometimes when you've posted photos i if it's any that i've missed i like look at it and i'm like how did i miss them yeah because i don't who, remember who that who is, is this person <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a it's really fun i it's a slow process because i'm just adding characters as we go but it's a ton of fun uh dylan carter i can hang out with you all day i'm super excited to finally meet you in person later this year i can't wait to give you a giant hug uh yes. it's such a delight to hang out it's with it's gonna you. be the longest hug ever because well, i feel like I, i've no, uh, known you for 
ever. Yeah, we're like, friends. Even, yeah, even even when you said we'll meet for the first time at the beginning of the episode, I was like, wait, we haven't met. Like, nope. I feel I like we to, have. I went to FlameCon and I met a bunch of the people, uh, but I have not met you. Uh, I, there's a lot of people I still have not met. I haven't met Justin and Alicia yet either, or Michelle and Justin. You guys, it's, this this little queer podcasting community really is uh, family. We're all connected to each other slightly differently, but it's this weird queer X Men safe space that has a lot uh, of allies I, too. Like, yeah, I really together. love it. I really, it's so fun to be part of. Uh, okay, my all friend. Of, all of them will be at the experience, so you'll get to meet them there. <laughs> I can't wait, actually. I'm really excited. I almost met Justin and Alicia. Uh, I was in uh, Providence when I first started podcasting, and we had lunch scheduled, but then there was a hurricane. So <laughs> we stayed in our homes. <laughs> yeah, that'll cancel plans. Uh, okay, so as we're wrapping up, we're going to put this out on the Patreon channel initially on April 26th. Uh, where can people find you online and what would you like to plug besides regular, incredible, hilarious, wonderful episodes of your show every week? Everybody can find uh, my podcast on any podcast platform. It is House of X podcast. House of X podcast also has a Twitter and an Instagram and a Facebook group. And you can find me all over social media at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. And something I do want to plug besides the Uncanny Experience is my podcast. We actually used to do tons and tons of interviews like Chad, and we actually haven't for quite some time. Uh, life has been very difficult, but we are going to start having interviews again. And we have episodes that are called Random Fandom Episodes. That's where we have like creators or comic book store owners or cosplayers or whatever. And mm -hmm. Our returning to that is we are going to be interviewing different X-Men fans or nerdy fans that are in different lines of work that may not necessarily be understood that well. And that's, I'll just say, our show is very sex positive show. And there's some adult entertainers that are huge X-Men fans. And we're going to be interviewing some of them. That's fabulous. Uh, oh my goodness. I love this idea. I'm looking <laughs> forward to hearing that. Uh, you guys can find Gray Malkin Lane, Gray Malkin PP like podcast on Twitter, Gray Malkin underscore Lane on Instagram. Uh, the Patreon episodes coming out right around this. The next couple, if the schedule works out, should feature uh, Lifeguard and uh, the Alliance of Evil from the early X Factor books uh, with Alex Segura. Uh, and then Neil Clyde and I are doing a star hammer as uh, referenced earlier. So really fun things coming up as well. On the main show, we are entering a whole new era. Uh, the episode that's come that comes out right before this release is uh, three professional drag queens, Demanda Martini, Tay Bobo, and Dax exclamation point, uh, coming on my show to do a fashion photo review of the 1960s X-Men costumes. And it is hilarious wow. and wonderful. Uh, and then we review the Savage Hulk series together. Then we're launching into X-Men Hidden Years. So uh, I have these episodes pre-recorded a couple of them. The, the first one features uh, uh, Jason Liebig and Gregory Wright, both who worked on the book. Uh, the second episode, we have Ken Nimura on the show. Right after that, we have uh, uh, Wolverine the Origin. Wolverine's original uh, or first appearance on my show with his origin story with uh, with the creator, Paul Jenkins himself. And I just recorded that last night and I'm still like singing in my heart from it. It's really special. Uh, so watch out for all of that stuff. We're in a whole new era. We've got great things uh, coming out and I'm having a ton of fun putting it together. 
Uh, Dylan Carter, what a joy to hang out with you. Thank you for spending your time with me tonight. Thank you for letting me talk about Thorn for (laughs) as long as we've talked. (laughs) This was delightful. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. We'll see you back here next time on Gray Malkin Lane's Patreon.